these new disaggregated or you know federated design models will mean that yeah you, you may not be able to pull all the data across but you may be able to deploy multiple different analytic searches across multiple data sets much easier in the future wow Hi, and welcome to another episode of Data Futurology. In Data Futurology, we speak to C-level executives in the data analytics, data science, and machine learning space, and we cover the topics and the challenges that these leaders are thinking about. So the idea is to bring everyone different perspectives about how we can do things better in our day-to-day work and give you also use cases with new ideas to bring in innovation into your organizations and make sure that we're helping you keep up to date with everything that's happening in this industry, which is moving at lightning speed. My name is Felipe Flores. I'm your host. Thank you so much for being here today. And today we got a super, super important, super interesting topic, which is around monetizing all of your enterprise data. So across the organization and monetizing all of it. And this is to advance the value creation from data. And for this, it's a topic that a lot of people have been sending in questions about. It's an area of focus uh, for a lot of the audience in terms of both how do we get coverage across the entire enterprise when we're looking to get more value out of our data, and then is how can we monetize that data or that value that we're unlocking, monetizing it for the organization and helping our clients and our partners. It's something that needs to go into every good data strategy going forward. For that, we have Stuart Long, a very special guest today. He's a CTO at HPE, which is Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And I can't think of anyone better to discuss this topic with us. So Stuart, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good, my friend. How are you? Ah, doing great, doing great. I've been looking forward to this chat. I am very excited that, um, that now we get to spend some time together and I get to pick your brain uh, for, for everyone in the audience. It's excellent. Um, so Stuart, maybe um, to, to kick us off, could you tell us about uh, your, your role at HPE, uh, what, you, what your remit is and your, your focus? Yeah, so I sit across our, our enterprise group, so CTO for Enterprise, and I look across all our different product portfolios and then pull together solutions for our, our different customer sets. So we have a number of different industry verticals. So we look at things like, you know, uh, public health, education, finance, uh, retail, uh, mining. So we now looking at how we develop the solutions from our product portfolio across all of those different stacks. Super, super broad um, remit. It it must be so interesting uh, to work across and help so many different types of clients in, in their, you know, varied stages of, of uh, evolution and, and maturity in this space. How how you been enjoying that? Yes, great. So uh, let's just say there's not too many boring days, right? So when you're not challenged or there isn't a, a new sort of topic that uh, you haven't thought about in, in the way that the customer is trying to think about it. So I said, it's, it's good, it's challenging, really keeps you on, on your toes mentally. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. And um, what what is something that you're that you're seeing in the in the market at the moment? Something that, that people are are either wanting to solve or or um, looking into more uh, more and more these days. So it's customers using data. So you know, there's been a number of sort of analogies around that uh, data is the new digital oil. And so what what customers are trying to do is really get a better understanding of what assets they have, and then what value they can get from those assets. Mm. So for many years, I think people have uh, stored information, hoping that it'll one day become useful. Mm-hmm. And what they're now seeing is, you know, the next sort of uh, level of competitive sort of differentiation, how you compete 
a better versus the other players in the market is really using your own data better. As we expand on that, what we're now starting to see is how you can share that data and get insights not only within your own organization, but across organizations. And that can often then help uh, you know, economies, you know, the whole social areas, uh, especially in government, around how we can then offer services to different type of people and almost uh, you know, customize those services for the individual users. And that is that is fantastic. That is um, that is taking the 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 need um and and expanding the value that you can get out of it uh, significantly. So not only being able to link the the data and use the data within an organization, but be able to link it across organizations. Um, that that is the that sounds like the future, the way of the future. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is fantastic. And um, how how are you guys, um, or how are you how are you helping people um, bring that to to reality? That sounds like a fantastic aim. Yeah. So what we're now seeing is, is there are different ways of uh, you're looking at sort of that that data pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so uh, data pipelines in in the old days used to be sort of I'll say single singular directions. So we used to basically have a transaction, we would capture that transaction, we'd store it in a database. As another event, we would then go through and report on that or you know, uh, run a different uh, analytics across that. And eventually, you'd move it into a data warehouse and maybe look at it a bit differently. Mm. These days, the data streams are what I'm calling omnidirectional. Mm-hmm. So uh, as the data is created, there are a number of different streams that split off that. And people start looking at not only the data itself, but how the data was created. It's all the metadata around that. And the, the easiest way to explain that is the whole uh, you know, behavioral analytics uh, type approach, which is, you know, I not only want to know uh, a transaction occurred, I want to know why that transaction occurred or was that a normal transaction. And so specifically with security, you'll see this all the time about mm-hmm. not only capturing the transaction, but then looking to see if that was a, a normal transaction fitted within the norms of that user or, uh, you know, that profile. And that that is... um That's fantastic because that's, that's the... Um, you know the the dream or the standard that that so many organizations are are aspiring to or chasing in order to be able to um, capture those things when they happen, being able to act on on the data um, more rapidly as as it's first coming in. Um, how how are how how can organizations start to take uh, steps that way, or what what can they be considering to bring this into into reality? So what we're now seeing is sort of smarter edge devices. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are predicting that the analytics will start moving towards the edge. Now, probably a different type of analytics. So we'll be doing those pre-filtering type uh, environments. So what we're seeing is the growth of all these you know, digitally enabled uh, devices. And so a huge amount of data is being produced. Now, a lot of that data is normal, but some of them it is abnormal. So how do I actually start to identify events very close to the source and then start to act on those events? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're starting to see. We've got a, uh, you know, a whole new range of um, analytic devices that fit very closely with these new sort of um, you know, cameras, et cetera. So video is a huge area where we see you know, the, the cameras just getting smarter and smarter and you know, the resolution is getting higher and higher. So the things you can now detect at those levels can be almost even used for things like a health and diagnostic environment. So uh, you, know, you can actually uh, start to actually look at a pulse rate through, uh, you know, the, through the eye these days. So you can actually start to tell whether a, cus- uh, a customer or a patient's heart rate is normal uh, through, through basically a, a video camera. 
man, this is <laughs> this is so exciting. Um, so I I know that you guys have been thinking about these type of problems for for a while in terms of um, the um, moving the analytics to to the edge, making it uh, actionable, being able to link uh, data across across the organization and across multiple organizations um, and and you've you've got something uh, that is that is very exciting um, that, that we can discuss a little bit in terms of how to how organizations can can look to implement this uh, could you tell us a little bit about that and what what it looks like yeah sure so uh, well we'll start off with, with Gaia X which is um, uh, a new solution that's coming out of Europe. So uh, if you, you guys have looked at what's happening in Europe around GDPR, around the mm. whole privacy regulations, it's now about federating your data and then making that data um, available to people, but still within your control. So that's a framework we're, we're basically uh, signed up to because what we've realised is you can't do this alone. You really need an ecosystem of partners and products to start to do that. And around that, then we've built a whole range of products to do what we call uh, federated data analytics. So this allows you to basically uh, look where your data is and start to then understand where you want to uh, analyze that data and what data flows you need to provide, you know, at the edge all the way through and how you want to basically store and categorize that data. So that's a framework we've been developing. There's now a, a number of different architectures. Uh, and underneath those architectures, we're now developing products that fit nicely within that to enable the, the customers to pick this up and start to look at, you know, what do I call a reference architecture from HPE around how to deploy these new systems. Exciting. And what what um what would be some some use cases that that would be enabled or powered by um, by this sort of next wave of technology? So this is where, again, in every industry starts to see this happening. Uh, mm. In our own industry, we're looking at what we call AI-assisted ops. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're now looking at the behavioral analytics of all of our computer systems. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a product called InfoSight that starts to not only compare uh, what one customer is doing, but what many customers are doing. And then what we can start to do is understand what is normal behavior of these systems and what's approaching abnormal. And what this will start to allow us to do is predict events occurring. So if someone applies a patch and that patch has a negative impact uh, in an environment, we can warn other, other users with similar environments not to apply that patch until they understand, uh, you know, the, the, the outcomes of, of that. So that's where we start within our own environment. But what we've then taken that is, well, how does this uh, look for, you know, things like retail? Mm -hmm. And uh, what we're starting to see is more and more smarter enabled digital stores. And this is now giving people that ability to do, you know, that, um, you know, uh, sort of cashless type uh, checkouts where you basically walk into a store, uh, pick up your items and you automatically charge them on your, your account as you do that. So a lot of change across many industries about you know, how they're going to look at this data, but how they will act on that data. And so that, that will be the key in the future as you look at these digital twins um, that many customers are now building, that is looking mm. at how you would take your existing processes and move them into a fully digitized environment uh, where you can then start to, to act upon that data very, very quickly. Man, that is that is ace. Um, and there's there's a lot of a lot of um, I guess, as you were saying before, a lot of processing that is happening on the edge, on on um, a lot of through devices that uh, customers need to be doing the analytics almost on on site, right? So yeah. essentially, um, and how yeah, how do you see that working? So, the best example we give you is, is autonomous vehicles. What you're mm -hmm. now seeing is 
uh, all the uh, circuitry they're building, all the componentry they're building into these new vehicles. And one of the reasons why we have this current shortage of new cars is not enough microprocess now mm -hmm. to build the current technology. And so these will give you many assisted driving uh, functions. And the ability here is, is to, if you're taking too long to process the data, the event may have already occurred. So if you're approaching yeah. an obstacle and you need to slow down, you don't really have a huge amount of time to wait. Uh, that latency can be a big issue for you. And so building those systems into the vehicle gives you that ability then to basically move that algorithm close to where the data is and mm -hmm. take immediate action. So some of these assisted braking systems you see in many of these vehicles, when they do see uh, an object up ahead, will start to slow the vehicle down, you know, at, you know, in real time as, as they see it. Now, moving forward, you can start to see, well, you know, if I'm starting to analyse how people are driving, that may have an impact on the insurance uh, of that vehicle. And, and the ability then to basically have to drive within certain parameters to maintain a lower premium. Or if you do behave in certain ways, you might find that automatically your premium starts going up because uh, the car is reporting how you're driving back to either the manufacturer who's saying, uh, yeah, you shouldn't be you know, driving that high you know, revolutions per minute or uh, to the uh, insurance company who says, you know, you're putting yourself at a bit of risk in others and you're more likely to have an accident if you drive in this manner. Man, that is, um, yeah, the, that's kind of like bringing uh, the the Uber star rating um, yeah. to <laughs> across across the board. Where you're like, yeah, you want to um, you want to be in your in your best behavior because then it it um, you know helps you in the in the future. So that's that's really that's really good. Um, how how can people start making the the transition from where they are today, um, which um, you know, obviously varied levels of, of maturity from, from people who are um, setting up warehouses or working with, with data warehouses to, to data lakes to sort of maybe good and bad experiences with data lakes. How do they start moving into, into this, this new world that you're, that you're describing? Yes, it's really starting to understand your data. That's why you see, uh, you know, chief data officer, the, these type of roles now being created. Uh, within businesses, you've seen many different silos, uh, and, and so they tended to have their own data built around them. Mm -hmm. And what you're now seeing is people are wanting that end-to-end -end view uh, within uh, an organisation. Yes. Uh, and this comes down to things, you know, like uh, large organisations like uh, mining today. It takes a while to mine some ore, you know, sort of in you know, outback Western Australia, move it to a port and then actually get it onto a ship, you know, to its port. And so that, that's quite a long supply chain. Within that period of time, the price of oil may go up and down, you know, change, et cetera. So to be able to understand where your assets are within that whole supply chain and then be able to optimise, you know, how you load ships, how you basically deliver to that environment, you know, is a key to, you know, uh, you know profitability and really be able to compete in these new environments. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's um, one of the, um, I think one of the most exciting things about being able to enable the, the digital twins is that the, it, you can optimize. So yeah. the optimization piece there is, is key. And we have today in so many industries, we have such complex, um, not only supply chains, but ecosystems that, that are so intertwined and that there is no digital representation of how they work. And therefore the optimization is uh, either very difficult or non-existent. Um, I know that in, in my, uh, the case of, of myself, I, I, I work in healthcare. So my, my, my day job is in healthcare and there's there such complexity that is not 
largely not digitized and and ripe for optimization and something that could benefit us all. Um, how how do you see these type of industries uh, taking uh, taking on this journey? Yeah, so it's all around that that sort of process automation, mm-hmm. and it's all about um, you know again coming back to that data. So the key is you need good data input and good data output. So as you say, if if a patient's turning up and you've got good data on why they're turning up, their history, etc., you can normally guarantee a good outcome. And then if that data is made available for the next person, sort of in that chain, then again that that patient will receive a better level of service um, than they would if they just turned up and somebody has to go through that whole, oh, you know, tell me about your history, what medications you're taking, all of these different things over and over again. So that's the good part of it. The bad part of it is you have to do that securely. Uh, People don't want that personal information being made available uh, elsewhere. And many organisations see a lot of this as their own intellectual property. So that data is, you know, core IP. So how do you do this in a safe and secure way as you're moving, you know, this data between, you know, uh, different providers or different parts of your supply chain, but you're not actually, you know, doing that and making that data, you know, uh, available to people who you'd prefer not to have that. Those are yeah, it's it's um it's a new um new stage in, in innovation, but definitely has to be done securely. Yeah, it's it's great that you guys have been thinking that from from the start, um, and that's a really good example in in the case of healthcare. Um, I wanted to ask you also, how would that be for for government? Um, in the case of where you you might have um, different either levels of government or different areas within government that might need to uh, also leverage the connectivity of data um, across across different organizations. Uh, how how would that work there? Yeah, so I think the NDIS has been a great example about how uh, you know individuals are, are looking to you know get services from different levels of government. Mm-hmm. So you may be on a federal NDIS scheme, but then want to be able to leverage that information to help you get state or local services around that. And that could be a simple thing of getting assisted, you know, transport to a local community health centre or uh, a number of these different areas. And what people are finding is they don't want to have to justify uh, the same, uh, you know, information multiple times between these different departments. So Mm -hmm. they're they're expecting that ability once they have, you know, a a valid claim for that claim to be able to be leveraged across all of those different areas. Yes. So that's an area where we've started to see a lot more uh, integration between those different levels of government. There's almost been that sort of protective mentality, which I have to build my own data silos and protect those data silos for everyone else. People are now starting to see there's a lot more benefit in sharing that data and then being able to compare and uh, enable services across those different data silos. So, you know, local government, state government, federal government, getting that those data models in place mm-hmm. you know, is, is key for that next level of social service to be rolled out efficiently within sort of the Australian community. Definitely, definitely. Um, that that is that is super exciting. I um, and so then how how does that work uh, with with Gaia X um, in in this case? So what we're looking here is a federated data model where you can mm. basically uh, publish the metadata uh, available that you have, uh, and then you can basically have a security and compliance wrapper around that. Mm-hmm. So you may want to make that data only available to certain other organisations or for certain other purposes. And that ability to control that in a federated environment is typically the key to this new X type environment. Mm. Uh, typically what we're seeing these days is people have used to give away their data for free. Now they're, yeah. they're all starting to understand the value of that data. 
Uh, and things like the GDPR have basically let people understand that you know, once you've given that data away, it's very hard to get back. Yes. So in these cases, what you're able to do is get a bit much better level of control of that data. Uh, but what it means is people are now more willing to share this, this data if they know it's being used for the correct purpose mm -hmm. and if they can basically withdraw their consent at any point of time and the data remains their own. So in Europe, this is quite you know, important because you can uh, imagine that Australia is one large continent, but Europe, there are many countries within that. So how do you share data between those different countries? How do you get better outcomes from health and social initiatives across uh, different you know, countries where you have sovereign data borders? Mm -hmm. uh, what we can show here is how we can start to set that up, how you can build those you know, ecosystems of uh, data providers and then be able to eff efficiently you know, secure and uh, put compliance across the, the data you're sharing. That is, um, well, I feel like that is exactly what Australia needs right now. There's so many, there's so many industries that we are, where we're discussing how to do data sharing um, in, in privacy compliant ways, in, in security compliant ways, how, how we can um, enable a transformation at an industry level to provide better products and services for the Australian population. And, and we are, I feel that we're stuck trying to f find or stitch together ways um, to do that, but that it often comes down to passing the data around in some way. It can be de-identified, it can be securely, but passing the data around and then giving up that that copy of of it. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, yeah, from from um, what from your new world and what you guys are bringing in, it's it works uh, completely different. Yeah, so it's that whole federated model. Um, you know, there uh, there's previously been uh, a number of different models where you have to move the data to a single point, uh, and they always had uh, costs and, and risks involved in them. But these newer models allow that that more federated uh, piece, and it brings into that whole piece the digital trust. So you you may trust uh, an ecosystem for one one solution. Uh, but you may not trust that moving forward due to an issue or an event occurring. And so this gives the, the user a lot of control about how they uh, you know, maintain uh, sovereignty over their own data. That's great. And how, how granular are the, the controls that, that can be applied? It really comes to the models you're looking to set up. So as you said, you can be de-identifying data, you can be masking data, uh, and you can be putting all those controls in place. Uh, and then you can basically be setting uh, time limits or uh, different requirements on that. So people only have access to the fields required uh, for the, you know, the, the, the sort of solution they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And that then allows, you know, a lot of interesting uh, uh, information to be gathered and captured. And what we're now seeing is the other side of that, which is if you're doing something maybe in health and we identified that a, a person may be at more risk uh, of disease or, you know, chronic issues, uh, do you have then a, um, a duty to notify that person, even if you don't know who they are? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's typically one. I've had a number of uh, discussions at government levels where you sort of say, you know, uh, you know if I provided this information, is there then a, a obligation for you to tell me if I have a problem or not? Mm. Yes. And, and um, are there any, any emerging views that are um, being more popular than others? No, this is one where uh, uh, you, you have uh, very uh, you know, different views uh, about you know, that, that ability and it comes down to imagine we could basically, based on your, your current lifestyle, predict mm. your, your age or where you, you, sort of, you would uh, you know, have issues. Mm. You know, are we at, uh, you know, if we do that, 
do we have a requirement to let you know? Yeah. So yeah. that information may be available today. It may be through just on the apps on your phone and people say, well, how do you mean? Your, your use of uh, Uber Eats and the type of food you eat, et cetera, uh, and, you know, a number of these different things, you know, photos on your phone, gives yep. you, you know, body mass index, <laughs> all of this number of steps. Uh, you know, if you put all that together, you could get a pretty good understanding of an individual's lifestyle and behavior. And that would then give you an interesting way of saying, well, based on that, here's a life expectancy curve that we, we see typically around those, those certain behaviors. Yes, 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 yes. And that's, mm, so with that lens, I really like the, the view that you guys are taking around uh, decentralizing and federating uh, data across organizations, because, um, in, in today's world, there's, there's essentially few tech companies that own the vast majority of, of data. Um, how, how do you see this um, how changing or, or staying the course? How do you see this into the future? Yeah, so th- I think this is the, the new way of the future where you know, things used to be very, very proprietary. So you used to have a lot of processes in the old days, a lot of the ESP systems, you were actually buying process. It was predefined process yes. and data models. Now, that meant you were pretty much locked into those predefined process and data models. And as we've seen more you know, open source solutions come in, you started to see the breakdown of those you know, processes and data models. And I think this is where the European Union is coming from with the, the GAIA-X, which is the next level of that, that social development will be around the more free use of the, the process and data models. So where we talk about process automation, um, it's really being able to say, well, great, if you had good quality data, you'd probably a good quality process automation. Mm. And so there's not the resources left. We can't be, you know, continuing to try and do things and, and fail uh, at an industrial level anymore. There's just not enough resources and power and uh, all those other pieces. And so being able to apply, you know, good information, knowing where things has failed will mean people will not continually go down the same path, uh, wasting time, effort and resources as they do that. Yeah, that is that is great. And um, one of the things that that you mentioned before is that as as people go and do this robotic process automation or or uh, maybe even as people move into more into um, devops and and the mlops world um there's their new capabilities these are new capabilities that are required for organizations to to stay competitive to stay at the forefront um but often they can exacerbate the problem of of having disparate data um how so so in this case you guys would be able to help with that as either from the start or as they start to become a, a pain point how how have you seen that um in in the market yeah so what you're starting to see is even bias in in, in data so if you start off with a data set and that data set has a bias then of course you'll get a a biased outcome out of it and so mm-hmm. maybe what you want to start doing as you develop the new algorithms and so we we do a lot we believe that DevOps will become data ops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the sort of the AI ops, the ML ops, and it really come down to, again, quality data to, to basically start to build that. And so as, as you go down that path, you'll then start to see, uh, you know, whether you've got bias in your own data, how you could compare that against other people's data, data sets, and mm-hmm. then be able to pull it together. So great, great area in that has been the facial recognition piece. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, different races have different, uh, you know, facial structures, you're starting to see three or four different you know, facial recognition systems 
all based around specific different areas that they've actually come from. Mm. And so being able to look at the how do you then pull all that together so you get the best of all of those four is, is a very interesting way of then being able to do, you know, you know, better facial recognition moving forward. Yeah, that is um, that is excellent. Um, and, and once once the, the data has been um, federated and, and started to be brought together, how how is the um, the metadata handled, managed? I was um, I was particularly interested that um, in and how you were saying that the it's not only the data being shared, but along with metadata with um, access controls, uh, security, privacy, etc. Yep. But the how how is the the metadata managed in this in this case? That's right. So you're basically building up a distributed metadata library as well. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where you're now starting to see that different people are interested in the metadata more than the data itself. Yes. Uh, and so that can be the whole you know, behavioral analytics. So uh, user and entity behavioral analytics is, is quite big in security to determine that, you know, that Joe from HR logged into the finance system at 3 a.m. in the morning. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you were able to log in, that will be logged, but the whole fact it was 3 a.m. in the morning and it wasn't the system you were supposed to be logging into may click off a security requirement as well. Now, you don't want to basically report on that a month later where, you know, your financial records have now been, you know, taken and where, where that data is going. So all of these different things become of interest uh, around that transactional piece. What you start to do is build up a a different metadata on the library. Uh, And so the the people in security, you'll hear a lot about Splunk and what they're doing around Mm -hmm. all the logging pieces. And so that's really around that that metadata around every transaction can be captured and analysed for the type of transaction. And then around that, there's a whole other sets of data that people are looking at to say, great, is there uh, additional information that can be gleaned or, you know, what becomes personally identifiable? So if mm-hmm. I've got a profile on you and then I can basically go through a set of data, can I identify individuals from a randomised set of data? And the more and more you look at it, the more and more we are creatures of habit and it's quite easy to start to do that. And, and as you said before, things like the Fitbits, they found that like US... Uh, government had to ban Fitbits because what they found was certain individuals were basically taking the same running course every morning around secured, uh, you know, uh, locations, et cetera. So, you know, that that you know, that uh, individualization of data or that ability to be personally identifiable is just becoming more and more easier as you start to look at all the metadata now available around it. Yeah, right. It's um, it was it was really interesting to hear about. Yeah, the I think it was in the army, the U.S. Army, that they were yeah. having people, um, yeah, doing the same the same courses and be able to be almost almost uh, picked out. And yeah, I remember back back in the day, a long time ago, I worked I worked in telco, and we had information like that you would see a, a mobile phone number from uh, pinging different cell towers, and this is maybe fifteen years ago. Um, you could see when people didn't go to work, like yeah. if they had a sick day or something like that. Uh, they, yeah, the, the the towers at work were not being pinged, and the ones at home were. So it was, uh, it was really uh, very interesting. And so um, this, I'm, I'm finding finding this uh, fascinating. I was wondering if you could tell me. Um, so so I'm 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 understanding the side on on the decentralized and federated data providing linkages and access with secure controls, privacy, um, that, that is, is sounding extremely powerful, um, especially when, when um, such 
um, low amount of data is is being used in in today's world. Uh, there's definitely a huge volume of improvement there that can be gained. Um, talk to me about the the other side uh, about the the monetization uh, piece uh, that that this uh, enables and and what opportunities this this opens up. So uh, great great start is you know we do a lot in the in industrial IoT which is really about um, predictive maintenance and and being able to understand you know the the limits of your your production systems mm-hmm. and when you may need to bring those production systems down for maintenance. Mm. Um, Many customers are finding they're doing too much preventative maintenance. And so the problem is if you have a, a supply chain and one of those parts of that supply chain fails, then that, that can basically you know, stop a whole range of things. So many people have these scheduled outages where they're taking their systems down and they probably don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- that's preventative to avoid when events are occurring. So uh, the whole idea here is to move from what I'll call an event-driven environment Uh, to a predictive environment. And so what you want to do is not have to take outages to stop events, but you only want to take outages when events are more likely to occur. Mm -hmm. And so this whole predictive analytics gives you a very good way of being able to say, oh, I'm now starting to see some anomalies in my supply chain where I may need to start to look at how I, um, you know, uh, fix these problems before they occur. And that can be everything from the industrial part of it all the way through to, you know, these larger uh, financial systems. You, you'll see credit card systems go down. You'll say, how does a highly available system with, you know, uh, multiple parts of redundancy go down? It's normally because you start to see these cascading type of failures occurring. Mm. And if you could start to predict these things, you could then probably avoid them, you know, occurring in the first place. And so that, that's the big difference we're seeing. It's moving from event-driven, and many customers are quite good at, you know, what I'll call event-driven uh, economics, where mm-hmm. they have a team of people waiting around when an event occurs. They're very quick at basically being able to uh, address that event. But this is being the predictive where it says, well, let's not actually let that event occur in the first place. And best example, that's what you're starting to see with smart watches and, and human health which is, you know, what they're finding is before a stroke, before a cardiac event, there's normally a number of uh, predictors that occur before these things occur. So if you can pick up on the predictors, you can probably stop the event from occurring and therefore stop a lot of the damage and other things happening. So, so these are the ways that we're starting to see the data becoming, you know, from that event-driven data where customers have said, and, you know, people are quite good at, you know, capturing events what they're starting to see is I now want to predict events and stop those events occurring in the first place. That's excellent. Cause then you're, you're being able, being able to hit the right balance. Um, yeah. Because as you were saying, like when it comes to, um, to safety and security and, and for example, having a plant running um, people are naturally going to can err on the side of over-investing in, in safety um, well, and, and, and do it essentially too much to the detriment. Um, yeah. and, and in other sides, there's the, in other type of applications, there's uh, predictions that can help find the, the optimal point. Um, so you guys can, can help with both, with both of those. Um, and what, what are other um, type of applications that you're seeing or that you've been excited about the, the monetization piece on, on, uh, using data? So th- this becomes then the, what we call secondary or tertiary type market. So mm-hmm. um, understanding event is occurring, it normally then gives you uh, other events that are likely to occur around that. 
Uh, and so, you know, this can be something as simple as saying, oh, you bought a device that needs batteries. Do you want the batteries to go with that? Mm-hmm. And that's becoming more and more, you know, every time you click on something on a website, there's that predictive piece that says, oh, other people have looked at this, other people have purchased this around that. So that's that whole secondary and tertiary type ecosystem uh, around uh, those pieces. The, the biggest area then is basically being able to, uh, you know, provide uh, ongoing, you know, solutions and management for, for those plans, right? And so uh, this is where, you know, you're looking at different uh, options to provide uh, maintenance or warranty or other type of services around that. And I think that's becoming more and more the, the trend these days that you'll buy things more as a service, um, which will come with a whole range of other, you know, package benefits rather than just buying a device, you know, for the device itself. So I said, it's going to be those uh, mobile phone ecosystems, those smartwatch ecosystems where it's lifestyle, it's healthcare, it's, uh, you know, economic, it can now be used as, you know, payment gateways. So all of these things are starting to become those ecosystem type plays. Uh, And this is where we're starting to see, you know, unless you can, you know, access the data or basically integrate into one of those existing environments, it's going to be very hard for you to compete, you know, just trying to build and develop your own data models internally within an organization. Definitely. That is, that is so true. Um, the, the power and the value in ecosystems at the moment is um, incredible. And yeah. I remember um, years ago, I worked at a, at a large bank uh, and we had, um, they brought in some consultants from, from the US that did some research with, with MIT and literally their, their main message was ecosystems. <laughs> they yeah. were like build ecosystems, get into ecosystems, the power, the power is in ecosystems, but that requires um, the, the, the perspective that you bring in in terms of that uh, decentralized and federated data that can be accessible um, and as well as protected throughout different, different players. Um, so this is, yeah, right, right on, the, on the money. It's yeah. extremely exciting. Um, so tell me how, how would you, how would you, um, so I'm excited to hear about from the Gaia and Gaia X perspective, how would you summarize, um, Gaia, Gaia and the capabilities that it has, um, what, what, yeah, starting with that on the capabilities that it has, how, how would you summarize that for people? I call it an architecture. So it's a federated architecture where you basically have, uh, data, uh, compliance and, uh, identity built together. Uh, and so what it is basically showing you is, uh, you know, how you could uh, provide access to data or consume data through a, a, uh, an open uh, standards type portal um, and basically make sure that the people who are accessing and uh, using that data were adhering to your requirements. Yeah, that is, that is fantastic. And um, so it, it helps build a, a distributed data model to understand the data where where it is um which is which is um very very interesting and then how what happens when when people go to to use that data or to request that that data um does the data move does it stay the same place how how can you tell us a little bit about how it works so more and more we're finding that you're actually starting to move the compute closer to where the data exists rather than moving large data sets around Mm-hmm. So this gives you the ability to deploy an algorithm uh, or an analytics uh, search, um, you know, very much closer to where the, the uh, data exists. And mm-hmm. so what you're finding around that is that, yeah, you can deploy a, uh, a search into an environment 
um, utilize that environment and basically pay for the use of that environment. So very much that cloud type approach and model. Mm. Uh, and then you have a choice whether, you know, depending where you are in the world, it, you know, in the size of your data set, it may be easy to move that data or the, the person sharing that data may not want you to move it, but they may give you access that data to run the analytics piece. And so all, all that the end user gets is the output of that rather than actual the access to the raw data. And so you can start to see the subtlety in the models about, you know, then people having control of that. So enabling someone to search through and, and basically analyze your data is very different to just giving you a full copy of the data than not being able to control what happens to that data in the future or how they may morph, you know, their usages of, of that data. Yeah, that is... Um... That is fantastic. And what happens if there's if there's um a lot of a lot of computational demand that's moving close to close to a data set that may not have the um the the right type of I guess infrastructure or or, or the computing resources in order to to be able to to crunch that. And I'm thinking kind of like IoT probably or or edge edge cases. Yeah. Um, what happens in those scenarios? Oh, this is where you know the, the HP being a you know a, a good organization has a an interest in helping provide those environments. And as you say, moving close to IoT environments, if you're talking about video, you may need GPU capabilities and other mm -hmm. things to do that. So we're very much in that uh, space of being able to provide you compute uh, GPU resources close to where data is and do it on a uh, you know a per use type basis. So uh, we have a whole range of different solutions. We'd, we'd love to talk about how we can start to do that. But this is where we start to see you know these uh, different solutions popping up. And as people are starting to understand that that data pipeline, being able to put compute and, and analytics as part of that data pipeline uh, makes it more efficient. It makes it lower in latency, and it can uh, improve the um, you know the performance of it end to end as well. That's awesome. That's great. Um, and and for the for the people that would be say working in Gaia X, what is the what does the platform look like for them? Oh, it, it, there's a range of different services, which is that centralized service, which provides you that that ability to uh, become part of that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole range of things around the data fabrics. So we can talk to you about many different types of data fabric. So how the data is stored, how the data is accessed. Um, and then we can talk to you about, again, that, that whole piece around uh, the compute and the processing piece, mm -hmm. uh, where you want to do that. Um, you know, can you bring data to it? Or do you need to start to move your, your analytics closer to where the data is? Mm -hmm. And so these type of models is, is where most people are starting to rethink some of their um, you know, current architectures and designs. And these new disaggregated or you know, federated design models will mean that, yeah, you, you may not be able to pull all the data across, but you may be able to deploy multiple different analytic searches across multiple data sets much easier in the future. Wow. Yeah, because then, um, yeah, I guess that's how uh, you were. That's how you guys can provide a, a customer three sixty um, point of view, and 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 with with search, being able to search um, how many how many touch points has this customer had across what departments have have been in in contact with this with this individual. Um, obviously, at an organizational level or a government level, uh, that that opens up a. Uh, a whole new world of of opportunities for for organizations without having to you know move their data or relabel their data, put it all into one place. Uh, that must be extremely exciting to see yeah, firsthand. You're starting to see in Australia the the 
the newest thing coming in here is around the open banking regulations. Mm-hmm. And so what this will mean is that, you know, uh, a customer, if they choose to, to share that information, can be made available across a number of different financial service providers. Yes. And so the ability then here is to say, if you were going for a loan with one provider and you had different accounts with other providers, then you could basically tick a box and make all of your account information available so you may get better rates. And so if you've got a good credit record, you're quite happy to make that available to as many people as possible if you believe that will get you a, a better rate on your on your loan, et cetera. Now, that means that all of the people playing in that ecosystem now we have, to, have to be able to share that open data mm-hmm. in, in a much uh, better format than they had previously. So in many cases, the financial institution would say, that's our core IP, we're not sharing that. And so the government's had to step in and sort of say, well, look, it's really a benefit to the consumer for, for that information to be available and uh, you know, accessible by other, other players as well. That is excellent. That is extremely, extremely exciting um, to, to be able to yeah, kind of like take, take your data and, and share it across different organizations of um, from a, from a personal perspective, I always thought that that would be great to be able to do with addresses or, um, if you're moving, if you're moving house, um, have kind of like one central data locker where you have your address information and maybe your email, and you can choose to share that with multiple organizations. So share that with Australia Post, share this with it, with this bank. Um, and, and if you need to change that, change it only in one place and everyone can can access or the people that That's you right, want yeah. them to access. And then yeah. this is quite interesting, which is in the old days, people used to think that uh, the federated uh, way of, uh, you know, people keeping data, so their records were all mm. kept by these different organisations, mm. uh, enabled better privacy. Mm. Uh, what you're seeing now is that's that basically enables a lot more, you know, identity theft and everything occurring. If there was a central place that people could check your details, et cetera, against, uh, and do it in a secure way to say, great, we're just checking to see if, if everything aligns and you just get a yes or no answer back, then it would be far, far better and far safer for the, the consumer to be able to do that than to have every uh, you know, different uh, entity they deal with having a, a different record of them or who they potentially are at a point in time. Exactly. I like that idea of, of checking against and getting a yes or a no back uh, in terms of saying, this is what I have. Is that, yeah. is that the latest? Um, that's yeah that that's really good one one of the other things that you mentioned before that i wanted to ask you a bit more is about um sovereignty and and data sovereignty how how do you see uh, or how does gaiax help on on that front it's obviously something um important important for for australians how does it help on that front yeah, so it allows you now to basically make those records available for comparison. So when you're doing that, um, you're not actually providing those records, but somebody can come and query to say, you know, is this Felipe's current address, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If it's not, it'll just come back with a no. It won't give them your yeah. current address. So your yeah. privacy is still protected. But if somebody's wanting to, you know, determine whether they trust you and you've given them information and they want to basically say, well, is there a way of me, you know, comparing that information, this is a very easier, good way of doing that. And so it changes. So where we're saying searching data, a lot of these searches will just come back with a yes or a no answer, um, you know, in many of these cases. But that's all that's required if you're looking to do that, that authentication. And again, in many cases, what they're, you know, people looking to do, especially in healthcare, you start to look at, you know, um, you know, social or uh, environmental impacts. And, you know, yep. this person who's just turned up with diabetes, where have they come from, you know, what environment, they're not really looking for 
specific information on you, but they're looking for those environmental aspects which may be leading to the sort of community-based healthcare players. So having a database where you could say, great, you know, here's people who's turning up with diabetes, here's all of the, you know, uh, the you know, factors that are impacting this may then help you, you know, stop that in, in certain communities or certain areas where, you know, the, these, you know, uh, diseases are becoming a much larger impact on the population. Mm. So it gives you a very good way of doing these population-based healthcare. You know, so why is one part of the world not seeing this where another part of the world is? Is it to do with diet, sugar, all of these different areas? You, you can start to, to compare those different factors without having to drill down into that personally identifiable information. But you do. You may want to know, you know, what what is the, you know, uh, you know, the amount of fresh fruit, vegetables, you know, meat, protein, all these other things they're consuming. How do I get all the information without then, you know, having to basically say, yeah, send it all to me and I'll I'll do it. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of innovation uh, that can be powered by this, and there's there's a lot of um, improving the. Not only the access to data, obviously, but the access to opportunities uh, for for different organizations to bring this innovation. How how do you see that um, coming along, and and how do you see that coming to fruition? Well, that's the whole thing with the, with that um, that digital twin. So you know, um, I, I, am I doing enough to keep up with you know newer services coming into the market? Mm. In the old days, people saw that there were barriers to entry in, into many of these markets, and so it was difficult to compete. Um, these days, what you're seeing with new, newer digital services, you're now seeing digital banks come out and they're able to offer a service, you know, very different to what you're seeing in the standard, uh, you know, uh, financial services area. And so these things like Afterpay and all these other solutions coming out are very easily able to compete with a credit card company because they're offering a similar service, but they're doing it very differently. It's all digitally enabled. It's all around the transactions around data. Do I trust this person? You know, are they going to pay me back? All of these can be made. You know, decisions can almost be made on the fly. And yeah. so, ha having to, uh, you know, an analog system trying to compete with that, it, it's very, very difficult. And so, the, these are the areas of that competitive differentiation you talk about. Um, to say, well, hang on, why wouldn't a credit card company, you know, be making more value of their information that they currently have? You as a consumer, they know you pretty well, but they're not offering you the services you want. Is that mm. because there's a lack of competition mm. uh, or they just haven't thought of those different types of services? Mm. Yeah, that is that is excellent. That is great. Um, what I was going to ask you, what what are you most excited about in terms of the 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 opportunities uh, for Gaia and and the data economy, I guess, as a as a whole, um, there's there's a lot there's a lot there to to pick from. Um, so, from your perspective, what are you most excited about? I think it's it's that ability to um, you know see a whole new range of uh, services be made available, uh, you know, very quickly, but also um, uh, customize those services to an individual user's requirement. So uh, when I look at my children, my, my children won't leave the house till they know where the bus is, right? So I can remember in the old days, you having to turn up at the bus station. If the bus was early or late, that was that was your fault, right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, these days, my, my son sits in his bedroom, you know, doing work, um, waiting for the bus to arrive before, you know, he goes to uni. He'll only leave when it's up the street and he walks down and meets meets the bus, right? So, you know, very different ways of uh, utilising these services that you'll see coming in the future. And what, what I call service chaining, so how you can basically start to say, well, you know, I want to start to choose these different services and chain them together myself. 
will really give the, the consumer a very good way of being able to customise their own services and choose from multiple different providers as they do that. So uh, I think the days where you can have a single source of everything or where you just go, it's my one-stop shop, you know, not going to happen uh, and that you'll start to see this ability to have, you know, ecosystems within ecosystems sort of spring up as people start to understand how they can do that. And the key here is that openness of the data and typically where you can see that there's value or where you can know you're providing value, it's easier to, you know, uh, show that value when you, you've got good data and the ability to say, yes, I'm contacting you or providing you this service for, for these reasons and aligning very well with the, the consumer's requirements as they do that. Now, for digital government, I think it's, you know, it's going to be a lot better. Uh, in New South Wales, you're seeing that with what we're doing around, you know, the, the whole service New South Wales and how that's linking. And I think uh, you'll start to see a lot better, uh, you know, ways of doing that across Australia. And I think that it's almost been driven by a lot of with the COVID as well, right? So you're starting to see how you have to have these ecosystems together, the whole, you know, um, you know, scanning in and scanning out of uh, environments and all these things. The, the community benefit of that, you know, when it comes to things like contact tracing is just, you know, immeasurable. Uh, and to be able to do it on an existing device, most people carrying with them, you know, it, it's, it's quite, quite a powerful uh, use of just one part of that technology ecosystem. You could imagine what you could then do, you know, attached on top of that from a government service perspective. 100%. That, those are excellent use cases. And I've definitely been yeah, impressed with, with how uh, Service in South Wales has been has been uh, using this type of technology, implementing it, and, and for the for the benefit of, of people in the state, it's fantastic. Um, and um, maybe yeah, tell me tell me maybe last question. Um, just because I'm, I'm I'm struggling with the curiosity, I'm, I'm trying to trying to hold back, but no, I'll, I'll shoot it through. So I wanted to ask you about the plans for Gaia over the next um say three three to five years um there's yeah what what do you see come coming up yeah so it's really de developing that whole ecosystem and, and bringing on different partners mm -hmm. uh, what you'll start to see is, is how you do uh, more of that sort of uh, edge to core to cloud type environment where mm -hmm. organizations uh, will now have you know, uh, a lot more edge processing. And if you, you look at the Gartners or IDC, they're sort of saying that, you know, in the future, 80% of all information will be processed very close to where it was actually produced. Wow. Um, and, and that will then, you know, give you a very, very different way of being able to do that whole, you know, process automation. So that whole, you know, robotic process, digital process automation, you know, if I can start to gather data uh, quickly, uh, close to where things are occurring, you know, the, the number of new services that are going to, you know, just uh, spawn out of that will be, you know, just just amazing. And and so, uh, you know, we're very interested in e-health. So that whole electronic healthcare piece, I think that will, you know, be become a very, you know, big area of change uh, as, as people will be almost signing up to monitoring services with either a, a telco or a device manufacturer. Uh, and then you'll basically be able to be monitored for a number of different, you know, uh, you know, predictive events that we've talked about here, right? So, um, you know, being able to, uh, you know, look at glucose monitoring through just, a, you know, a finger, um, you know, scanner and all these type of things. You know, these are the areas that are going to have a massive change to our sort of uh, social uh, welfare. And then, you know, uh, the sky is sort of the limit on, on the, you know, the, the economic side with, you know, companies becoming more and more digital and services becoming more and more digital. 
So you'll see in, in areas like insurance, it's all about micro insurance and being able to, you know, uh, insure, you know, different events occurring. And then it's based on that, that whole event, you know, capturing all the information and saying, great, if I'm going to basically be, be doing this, how can I protect myself in, in different ways, right? So uh, I said, it's, I think it'd be a very interesting way that uh, people start to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, almost, uh, you know, I'm looking for, you know, sort of navigate the, the new sort of uh, digital services in, in the future. I think there'll be some uh, very, very interesting you know, opportunities out there for organisations, for governments, uh, for good and for bad, right? So it, it's how you, whenever you offer, you know, this level of uh, innovation, there's going to be good and bad and it's about making sure that you can, you know, uh, optimise the good and, and limit the bad. Exactly. This is, man, this has been really extremely extremely interesting um the the potential is is huge um it comes i feel like it comes right at the right time for for the australian market so many organizations are trying to solve these problems and in having difficulty in in doing so it's been yeah very um you know piecemeal uh solutions so far that have taken a lot of resources to get to get even to the starting line so this is going to be yeah gaia is going to help out so many people. Yeah. Where where can people find out uh, find out more information, or where where can they go from here? Yeah, a number of different websites. Um, uh, you know, contacting HPE d- directly. So again, we've got a number of products that fit into that ecosystem. Uh, you know, just reach out. N- number of different ways of doing that. Uh, I'm sure the guys will give you some links to to whack in at the end of uh, this video, where we can basically show you some of the things we're doing. Uh, very interested to talk. You know, at, at events and you know, come and have a chat to. Uh, different uh, industry groups around how how we see this working in other areas and how we can start to help pull all, all of these different parts together. So the good thing is there are many entry points to this. You don't have to be a large organisation or a big government department mm-hmm. to start to get the value of these newer ecosystems. They can be very lightweight, very easy entry, but that's the whole idea, which is to enable that access and give you quicker returns on a lot of these investments. Mate, this has been outstanding. Really, really enjoyed the discussion. I'm impressed by the level of foresight and the capabilities that you guys have brought to reality so quickly and so soon. It definitely is going to help so many organizations in our geography, like how it's helped organizations in other parts of the world. So I'm super, super exciting. And Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this with us. No problem, mate. It's been a pleasure. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.